You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Working Like Dogs is brought to you by Dog.com. For everything and anything dog, shop Dog.com today for all the top brands. Greenies, Frontline, Kong, Nylabone, Royal Canin, and more. Shop at Dog.com and use the promo code SADWORK, S-A-D-W-O-R-K, and get $15 off your order of $75 or more. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my trusty co-host is my service dog, Whistle. And Whistle and I are thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today our guest is the award-winning writer, Garth Stein, who's the author of one of our favorite books, The Art of Racing in the Rain. And Garth is going to talk with us today about the novels he's written. And Whistle and I can't wait to hear more about our favorite character, Enzo. So please come right back after these messages as we welcome Garth Stein. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Celebrate your special occasion and give her this classic semi-eternity band created with one carat brilliant diamonds channel set in 14 carat white gold. Exclusively yours from ice.com. Free shipping over $150, free returns, and 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to ice.com and use promo code ACTFP and get 20% off your purchase. Or use promo code ADTFP and get 20% off at diamond.com. Ice.com or diamond.com. Get 20% off from Pet Life Radio. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash work, W-O-R-K, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. There's a movement afoot, ShoeBuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop ShoeBuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. ShoeBuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code WORKING, W-O-R-K-I-N-G, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at ShoeBuy.com. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products 
and talk to the companies that make them. Best bets for pets. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Garth, and welcome. Hi, Marcy. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so excited that you could be with us today to talk about your wonderful books and your career. And I guess I have to ask you first, you started out your career as an award-winning documentary filmmaker. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's true. I started uh, making uh, documentary films uh, way back in the 90s and uh, and made films for about nine years or so. And then... uh, got very tired of trying to raise money all the time to make a film and and uh and i said you know there's got to be something easier so i turned to writing (laughs) 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 well and you did some really impressive films because i i read where you worked with robert downey jr yeah i I got to work with robert downey jr on a film that we made in 1992 called um the last party which uh was going to the presidential um uh, political um, conventions uh, for both the Republicans and the Democrats during the 92 election, which was uh, when Bill Clinton was, was elected. And uh, we went and kind of did this uh, sort of youth look at the, the process, which now seems, well, you know, it's kind of been done several times, but in 92 it was, it was kind of fresh. And it was fun to work with Robert with it on that show. Yeah, that was really innovative. That's really cool. And then you also did a film on epilepsy. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I made a film called When Your Head's Not a Head, It's a Nut, which was uh, more of a personal film. Um, it was a film about my sister's brain surgery for epilepsy, and it was about how the family went through it all and, and sort of the, the little brother's point of view. And, and uh, it won several awards, actually, and uh, was, was uh, aired on PBS nationally back in 93. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was a, I, I loved making documentary films. I mean, it's all about storytelling for me. Whether it's writing or filmmaking, um, if it's a good story, you know, it, it comes out and it's fun to work with and, and try and discover that story. Yeah, yeah. I was enjoying reading about those. And I, I love that when people do a personal experience with any kind of disability or any kind of disabling experience that they have. So I thought that was so awesome that you did that personal story about epilepsy. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, that's what we try to bring to everything is is um, the personal factor, whether it's, you know, completely fiction or, or not. I mean, we want to have a character that people can identify with. And my sister is kind of wacky. She's a crazy artist. And uh, that's why it's got kind of a funny title. Um, <laughs> head, it's a nut. So, you know, who, who else but a, a, a wacky artist could talk about a brain surgery with a title like when your head's not a head, it's a nut. So... I love that. I love that. We, we all have to, to find humor in, in these challenging situations. So I love that. That's awesome. Well, so you said that you, because I can only imagine how hard it is, because I do a lot of grant writing, so I know how hard it is to raise money for projects. So you said that you got tired of doing that to do your filmmaking. But, so how did you really transition, Garth, from being a filmmaker to being a novelist? 
Well, keep in mind that I was making films back in the sort of the pre-digital age um, where we would shoot on 16-millimeter film or on three-quarter inch videotape. And uh, it was a very expensive process. You know, this is before the my phone can make a better film than, than we could make <laughs> on video in those days today. So uh, it really was, it was expensive and it was very time consuming. And um, so I was always writing grants. I know that grant writing process and, and you know, trying to get uh, little filmmaker grants here and there. And, um, and I was working on a film and, and I ran out of money. And I said, geez, what am I going to, you know, this is crazy. Um, what am I doing? Let, let me um, write a screenplay and I'll, you know, maybe sell a screenplay and then I'll make some money. And so I started working on this idea that I had. And uh, it was it was just terrible. It was really awful. And I thought, geez, why is it so bad? And I guess I don't know the characters well enough. So let me write it as a short story first, and then then I'll I'll really know the characters better. And so I started working on it, and it just got longer and longer and longer, and it kept growing. Um, and until finally, uh, I looked down and I had a a novel, and that became my first novel, which was called Raven Stole the Moon, uh, which takes place in Seattle and in Alaska. And it's actually set in the, my mother's hometown of Wrangell, Alaska. And it deals with Clinket Indian mythology and kind of this uh, sort of uh, magical realism to it. And uh, I, I happened to know someone who knew an agent, and I said, hey, can you pass this off? And, and she did, and the agent, I got a call from the agent saying, hey, you know, uh, I can sell this. And so it all happened very easily for me, and I, I remember thinking, wow, this is great. It, I quit filmmaking. I'm I'm a writer now. And, uh, <laughs> well, I can't blame you if you had that that easy of a transition. I mean, that yeah, is well, that's I, amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize how hard it would be to to write the second book. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how long was it in between the first and second book? Well, my first book was published in uh, 1998, and my second book was published in 2005. So. There was uh, a number of years. It took me a while to write the second book. I was doing other things. I was doing other jobs as well. And we moved, my family moved from New York to Seattle, which is my hometown. So there was a lot going on. But uh, it, it was a struggle to write my second book, which was uh, How Evan Broke His Head and Other Secrets, which incidentally uh, deals with the, the protagonist, Evan, uh, has epilepsy, very much like my sister uh, had. So, uh, you know, I, I use some personal experiences in the writing of that, in, of that book. So, you know, it took a while, uh, but it was, it was worth it. it, and that book turned out quite well. So that was my second book, and, and that then, then I just snowballed into The Art of Racing in the Rain and, and Enzo, the dog narrator. So Yeah, so do you always use personal experiences? Is that what inspires you as a writer? Well, I think that in order to make a book authentic, we have to have a certain amount of uh, personal investment in it uh, as, as a writer, you know, to... To make it genuine, to make the drama genuine, I think there has to be, um, you can't fake writing because the readers are very smart and they pick it up right away and they say, hey, I don't buy that. So, yeah, there always, I think there always has to be you know, personal experience of some kind. I mean, you can do research and you can learn all sorts of things, but at some point you, you, know, you have to feel the emotions. You know? It's funny, my son, I, I have three boys and, and my oldest son is 14 and he was saying something about some class or something he was taking. He's like, I'm really not interested in it. And my, my wife said, well, pretend that you're interested in it. He says, well, how do you do that? I said, just act like you're interested. And if you pretend hard enough, guess what? You will be interested in it. <laughs> at a certain point, you know, and that's the same thing with writing a book, with doing drama, you know, you have to feel the emotions that your characters are going through and experience those emotions while you're writing. Uh, and that's what makes them read as real.
Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And so many, that's a great life lesson, right? So I think your wife was very insightful in that because that's so true. If you can just be open, you know, to different experiences, then you really can learn so much personally. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that I had so many friends and colleagues sent me your book to read. I ended up with so many copies because they were all <laughs> mailing it to me, telling me that I had to read it. But it was my sister-in-law, Nora, who called me and she insisted that I stop what I was doing and give your book my full attention because she just couldn't wait for me to read about Enzo and Denny and Eve and, and all the wonderful characters, but especially Enzo. So I have to tell you, I, I actually passed on all those copies, but I kept one. But I certainly passed them on to other friends for them to experience it because it was just such a wonderful story of perseverance and loyalty. You know, the loyalty is really what spoke to me so much, which I thought was so beautifully written and, and beautifully expressed. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, and, and thank Nora for me, please. <laughs> I will. Oh, well, she's one of our biggest fans at Working Like Dogs, so she'll be thrilled okay. to hear you say her name. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, um, there's something about the, the voice of Enzo that I think um, people find especially appealing. Uh, you know, it's a funny story kind of behind the writing of this book. You know, when I wrote it, uh, I didn't really think too much about the implications of having a dog narrate a book. I just thought, oh, it would be kind of funny, you know, you have this sort of a different view of the world around and, you know, make comments about uh, how silly people are and things like that. And uh, I wrote the book and I thought, geez, I, I really, I really like that. This is, I think this is good. And I sent it off to my agent and he, uh, he called me up and he said, uh, it's narrated by a dog. And I said, well, well, yeah, I, I know that having written it. And he said, I, I can't sell a book narrated by a dog. No, no one will read it. No publisher would know how to, what to do it. It's, really, it's impossible. And so, I ended up having to, to leave him and go find a different agent who, uh, who believed it was possible to, to have a dog narrator. And so it's nice that Enzo got, you know, uh, and then Enzo found a home because I guess he easily could have been um, shuttled aside and said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. But I thought that his voice was, uh, would, would resonate with people. And uh, I, think I, I think it's worked pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was one of my biggest questions for you is how did you master speaking and writing as Enzo? Was it difficult to articulate his voice? Well, no. I mean, as I said, I, I didn't really think about, uh, I didn't do it consciously. I knew the character. And the character of Enzo is uh, a nearly human soul trapped in a dog's body. And he's convinced, convinced beyond belief that, that uh, he is going to be reincarnated as a person in his next lifetime. And so he very much is looking forward to this next lifetime where he will get to come back with thumbs and a, a yeah. tongue. And, and yet at the same time, he doesn't want to leave this life because he's so in love with his family, with, uh, with Denny and Eve and Zoe. And so he really wants to stay with them. So he's a classic uh, character. You know, he's a classic Greek double bind. He wants two different things that he, you can't have. They're mutually exclusive. Yeah. And so out of that grows a frustration uh, that makes his character uh, really come to life. Yeah, well, that's what resonated so much with me is 
having a working dog for almost 20 years because, and I have a, a working dog that's retired, Morgan, that reminded me so much of Enzo because Morgan is, is nearing the end of his life. And when I read the book, I could see the same struggles that Enzo was having that Morgan is having because he didn't want to retire and give up his job. And now I feel like, you know, as he's nearing the end of his life, he doesn't want to, he feels like he can't leave me because I still need him as him being with me and being my working dog and giving me so much care and assistance. So it seems so similar because Enzo was so, so important to Denny and was just so supportive of him as he went through all these trials and tribulations in his life. Enzo was the one constant that was always by his side. Right. Right. Yeah. That becomes a relationship that we have and with our animals that, that really is uh, a special thing, and it's, it's very singular, I think. Yeah. Well, we are going to take just a quick break, and here's some important messages from our sponsors, but we're going to come back and continue talking with Garth Stein and talking about Enzo and, and his other wonderful projects that he has going on. So please come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. At Petco, we really love pets. There isn't anything we won't do to make sure they're getting the best products and the best care. So when you ask us a question like, So how do you feel about cat condos? We can say from experience, Feels like home. For her. Enter the code WORK10, W-O-R-K, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code WORK1234 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P dot com, code word W-O-R-K-1234. the question, what do I want, what do I need, I'll take affection, I really should mention, I need time, I need love, I crave attention. Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. 
From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore, every week on demand. This is the place for a special paparazzi treat, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with author Garth Stein. And we've been talking about his wonderful book, The Art of Racing in the Rain. And we were talking about the relationship between one of the main characters that's a dog, Enzo. So I I was just wondering, how did you decide to write? I mean, we've been talking about Enzo, but how did you decide to write about a race car driver? Well, the story came about uh, somewhat organically. Um, let me give you the backstory um, on how this whole thing came together. When I, when I was making documentary films, at some point, uh, a friend of mine asked me to consult on a film. They were looking for a U.S. distributor. It was a film that was made in Mongolia, and it's called State of Dogs. And it was about this belief among the nomads in Mongolia that the next incarnation for their dog will be as a person. And I thought, geez, what a great idea, what a provocative idea. You know, we, we all want to be able to, to see our dogs again, you know, and, and talk to them. And it'd be fun if they could talk back. So I thought, that's kind of neat, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. And that was maybe 12 years ago, I guess. So then, uh, about four years ago, uh, I was at a poetry reading here in Seattle, and the poet Billy Collins was reading. And he read a book, he writes, he has several uh, poems that are really great about uh, dogs. He's a very big dog fan. And this one was called The Revenant. And it's narrated by a dog who's recently been euthanized. So it's, it's being told from doggy heaven. And the mm. first line of the poem is this. I am the dog you put to sleep, as you like to call the needle of oblivion. Come back to tell you this simple thing. I never liked you. And it's very funny. It's a hysterical poem. <laughs> and uh, it, it's very poignant at the end, of course. Um, uh, very sweet. But I was listening to him read this poem, and I said, wait, that's, that's, that's it. That's the idea. See? Uh, the idea of a dog coming back as a person has to, can only be told from the dog's point of view. So that's where Enzo came from. So here I had this character, and I had his mission, which was I want to be reincarnated as a man, but then what's the story of the book? And at the time, I had been doing some amateur race car driving here in the Northwest. Ah. I had a great time doing it. <laughs> and, you know, people in the paddock, in the racing paddock, they really do talk about the mental approach to race car driving, or as they say around the track, you know, how to tighten the nut behind the wheel. Get it? There's that nut again. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all about the mental approach. And they use phrases like your car goes where your eyes go, that you can't worry about anything that's already happened on the racetrack. You can't worry about blame. You, You can only worry about what's in front of you, the things you can change. You have to, it doesn't matter how you got where you are, if you spun out or if you got hit by somebody or what. It doesn't matter how it happened. What matters is now you need to better your position before the end of the race. And so there's this very, there's an immediacy to it and there's a certain amount of, of, of this sort of uh, forward-looking action to it. And I said, geez, I, why not? That sounds like so much like what a dog would say, or, or Enzo, my dog, would say, that if we could live our lives as people, our everyday lives, in the same way that a race car driver approaches a race, we would be very good people. 
we wouldn't be angry at people around us. We would not worry about always blaming other people or saying, you made me do it. You, I said that because you told me that I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done that. We do a lot of finger pointing. Um, but he says, what if we don't, what if we forget all that? And we just say, okay, here's, here's where I am. Here's my position in life. Now, what can I do to improve my position? And I was like, wow, that now I have uh, the Zen of Enzo the dog. And so it, it sort of grew out of that, um, that experience that I had on the racetrack. Yeah, that was a perfect marriage of those two completely different worlds, the world of a dog and the mind of a dog, and then the whole profession um, as a race car driver. That was so cool. Yeah, it worked, uh, it worked really well. And, and that's part of the thing about the writing process, I think, that we, have to be, we always have to be listening for the clues, for the things that are around us, and, um, and be available, be kind of open for business, as they say. Yeah, well, I think that's the art of it, right, is being open and, and knowing when you hear something and being able to make a bridge between those two things, which you did so beautifully with that story. I mean, you had such clarity about those two different roles and how you married them together. That was really awesome. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I did think it worked out. Yeah, well, I was wondering, you know, when I was thinking about us visiting with each other, I was wondering about the ending to the book, and I don't want to give away anything to our listeners, but I was wondering if that was your original ending, or if you revised it as you wrote the book and and made edits, if that was the original, and it sounds like it was. Um, Well, I don't think there are really any spoilers in this book. I mean, we pretty much know what (laughs) what the ending is going to be in the the first on the first page, uh, Enzo kind of tells us, but, and, and in a sense, I wanted to do that to kind of, to spoil it early. Um, because a lot of people I know say, um, I don't want to read a dog book because the dog always dies in the end. So I said, you know what? The dog's going to die in the beginning. How about that? <laughs> we're just going to get past that whole issue. Okay. And then let's discover about his life. What made his life so rich and, and so great. The very end of it, the, what I call the epilogue that takes place in Imola, Italy, uh, did actually come after I had written the book. I had originally written it um, with, the, with the end of the last chapter uh, with him running off into the field. And, uh, and then I added the, the, the coda uh, later because I think people wanted to have that, that sense of completion. So writing is a process of discovery. Um, book doesn't pop out of one's head fully written. A writer has to learn about the characters and the story, uh, and and there's a difficult, there's a careful balance, I would say, that a writer must, you know, be true to his or her own vision of the story, but also at a certain point be very true to the characters and the story, take on in a sense a life of their own, and and at that point the the writer has an obligation to make sure that he or she doesn't uh, overwrite and start to contrive situations just because, well, I wanted this to happen, so therefore it happened. The characters have to make it happen at a certain point. Yeah. Now, I, we're, getting, I think... now we're getting into the theory of writing. We don't have to go... <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> No, no, that's great. And and I have to say that I had that initial thought that, you know, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to break my heart, you know, to read this. But I have to say I was so satisfied at the end, the way everything worked out and the way everyone ended up. I was just so relieved. <laughs> it was like, oh, good. It, it was, even though you, you know the inevitable, but it is in such a beautiful way. And, and so, you know, it, it just... It works out so well. I love that because as I shared with you, you know, as Morgan is, in, is 
nearing the end of his life, you know, I found such solace in Enzo's story and his experience and hope. You know, it gives you a lot of hope that this really is what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, yes, that was the idea. I mean, it should be uplifting at the end. I mean, yeah. the whole idea that, you know, existentialism is just so cold and dark. I mean, you die and they stick you in the ground and that's the end of it. I mean, there's nothing, there's just nothing after that. I, who wants that? I mean, why don't we, uh, you know, we live in the, the day of the age of Aquarius here. We're, we're in the age of recycling, you know. We, we recycle our bottles and our cans. We should recycle our souls as well, shouldn't we? I mean, come on, yeah. put it to work. Yeah, I love that. And recycle our spirit. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, do you think that we'll ever get to see Enzo and Denny on the big screen? Well, we're, we have our fingers crossed here. I, haven't heard, I don't believe they've started shooting yet, but it's slated to be made by uh, Universal Studios with Patrick Dempsey starring as... Oh, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's exactly what I imagined him to look like would be Patrick Dempsey. So, oh, that's yeah. so cool. Oh, I'm so well, glad Patrick, to hear that. He's a great guy. Uh, he's actually a, a, a really very talented race car driver. And, and I've met him several times now, and we've talked on the phone a bunch about the project. And... Uh, we have a great screenwriter working on it uh, by the name of Mike Rich, uh, who wrote uh, another terrific kind of sports-oriented film uh, called uh, The Rookie. Oh um, yeah! And uh, it's uh, you know it's it's ready to go. We'll just see you know if the studio uh, you know Hollywood is a fickle place. I, I wouldn't. I'm glad I'm a writer in Seattle rather than being in Hollywood because you never know what's going to happen down there. Yeah, I can only imagine the roller coaster ride that it must be to do a project, a Hollywood project. But as I was finishing the book, that was just what I was hoping, is that it was going to be made into a movie because it's just such a wonderful story. I couldn't imagine that Hollywood wouldn't pick up on that. Yeah, well, they they have. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. Is there a working title? Is it going to be the same, or do you know? I, I think it would be the same title. I, I, and it's certain, you know, this book has become sort of a... A, a thing. I mean, it's now published in 30 languages, and uh, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 76 weeks. And uh, it's it's really it's really been around. I don't think they could change the title. Uh, without, yeah. Without the fans of Enzo getting upset. <laughs> yeah, there's so much name recognition there and branding of that title. So yeah, absolutely. Well, so how do you top that? What's your next project? <laughs> My next, I'm just finishing it up, actually. I hope to be done. Well, I've been saying this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> As all writers do, right? Yeah. I know. Oh, I just, I just got to you know, run the spell checker. Um, <laughs> no, I, I have a, a few more pages to write here, but um, I'm hoping to finish in the next couple of days um, with a draft of my new book, um, which shall remain nameless until, until it's time. But it's a, it has no dogs in it and no race cars. So okay. it's... <laughs> It's a uh, it's a Northwest epic uh, ghost story. How about oh, that? Oh, fun! Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's it's good. It's it's a lot. It's about this big old estate mansion owned by this very famous, uh, one time very wealthy logging family, but now has fallen from grace and they have nothing left but this decaying mansion uh, on a bluff overlooking Puget Sound, and it's it's filled with with voices from the past and uh and all sorts of things so it's fun yeah well that's such a beautiful area to think of a haunting story because i love the seattle area and the and the sound it's so beautiful 
Yeah, it's a great, we live in a very, we're very fortunate here in the Northwest to have such, uh, such beauty around us. And uh, we even say that with a straight face during the winter when it never stops raining and uh, it gets dark at four o'clock uh, <laughs> in the afternoon. Yeah, well, no place is perfect, right? <laughs> I, just, I just, one day I just want to just, I want a winter in Mexico or something. I just want uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm pretty spoiled living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where it's pretty, pretty darn beautiful all the time. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, and so um, you teach, do you teach fiction writing? Uh, I used to teach quite a bit. Um, I don't really teach as much anymore just because uh, I'm, I'm too busy now writing and, and promoting and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, I, I have, I've always kind of kept my hand in it and I do workshops at writers conferences now and stuff. But I used to teach uh, on high school level and uh, um, elementary school. Oh, I was wondering how in the world you'd have time to do that with your busy schedule. But you say you still do workshops every now and then. Yeah, I'll do um, for writers' conferences or stuff, something. I'll can do a, a one-day workshop or something like that. So. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, I know our listeners would like to know how they could be one of your students and one of your, your workshops. So could they find Wait. out through your website? Yeah, through my website, which is GarthStein.com. Uh, there's tons of information about me and my books, and uh, my schedule is up there. So I get around. I get around. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> Garth. Yeah. <laughs> well, what advice would you give someone that's starting out today who wants to, to become a writer? I mean, you've, you've had such an amazing fairy tale story, really, of how your career started. But what advice would you give somebody? Well, I think that it's, well, you have to write from your heart. And, and what I say to my writing students is everybody knows how you should write your book. Everybody has lots of, lots of suggestions and lots of ideas. But there's only one person whose name is going to go on it, and that's yours. So you, it has to be true to you. Uh, you're the only one. You can't say, well, it's not my fault that no one likes it or that it didn't sell. Uh, it was because I took someone's suggestion and it was that. No, you, you can't. Do, there are no do-overs like that. So you have to be true to yourself and write with your heart um, is the first thing. And the second most important thing is don't stop writing until you're done. I mean, that sounds kind of silly, but what generally happens with writers is, with young writers, is they say, well, I just want to hurry up and, and get this published. And uh, it may not be finished yet. It takes a long time to write a book and many, many drafts, and it has to be really, really done before you start uh, sending it around and, and getting people to believe in it. Yeah, that's I my think... Advice. And I that's a, it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a really valuable piece of advice, and that is so hard because you put so much time and effort into projects, and you want it to be done and be successful, but you're right. You can't rush it. Yes, you really have to be patient. And again, you know, like I said before, writing is a, it's a process of discovery, and... I was just talking to another friend of mine who's a writer up here, uh, Jim Lynch, who wrote a great book called um, The Highest Tide. And he and I were saying the exact same thing. We said, you know, you get through the book, you finish writing a book, and you say, why did that take so long? I could have written that like, in a month. Why did it take me a year? <laughs> and part of it is the, a lot of writing is not writing. A lot of writing is allowing the – it's like making a stew. I mean, you could make a stew really fast, like a soup, make a chicken stock, right? Let's say you make a chicken stock. You could make that chicken stock in, a, in 20 minutes. It doesn't let you throw in some carrots, some onions, some herbs. But to do it properly, where it gets full flavor and rich, 
you got to first cook the flavor out of the, your onions, and then you have to get the carrots. You, know, you have to take your time with it and let, really let it take hours. That's how you get the full. Well, it's the same thing with writing. Sure, you could write it in a month, but it wouldn't have a full flavor. That's so true. That's so true. And that is the discovery, right? That's the whole discovery process, which is really time intensive, which I know I struggle with that because I'm not the most patient person. But I have to say that through writing is really teaching me patience. And it is such a self-discovery as well as a story discovering and unfolding as well. Yeah. I think that's what we just have to trust ourselves. So. Yeah, it is about trust. Yeah, that's that's really a, a good way to put it. Well, I just can't thank you enough for being with us today. It's been such a delight visiting with you. And I can't wait until I'm sitting in the theater looking at the big screen and getting to see Enzo. I know Whistle will enjoy that with me because he loves to go to the movie with me. But oh, thank you so much. And we hope you'll come back and visit with us again, especially when the movie comes out because we know that'll be a very exciting time. And I want to ask you one more time, Garth, please tell our listeners your web address again, because we really want to make sure they have access to that. Uh, sure. It's, it's easy. It's GarthStein.com, and G-A-R-T-H-S-T-E-I-N, and it's all one word. Um, and on that website, there's tons of information about my books, about me, and, and how you can reach me or what my schedule is. Yeah, it's a great website, so I really encourage all our listeners to check it out. And we'll also have Garth's information and a link to his website up on our website, which you can find at PetLifeRadio.com and under Working Like Dogs. So thank you so much for being with us, Garth, and we thank our listeners for being with us today, and we hope you'll come back and be with us again. And I would love for you to continue sending those questions, comments, um, and emails. Whistle and I love to get them, and you can reach us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thanks so much for being with us, and take good care. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.